Here we go, anytime in the next 30 seconds. Okay, just right now, the whistle is blown. We're back at it. Cycle cross racing is coming. Gravel racing is coming. Whatever it is, is coming. But right now, we have got some more crit racing. It has been way too long since we checked in with the boys from Project Echelon, and a lot has happened. So we're going to do a twofer here. Today, you're going to hear from Ricky Arnopel, and you're going to hear from Ethan Crane. Crit Ricky and the wonder kid that is Ethan Crane. There's a lot of material to cover for just those two guys. We are splitting it off. We are splitting Monk off and giving him his own Monkasode. One full episode just about Brandon Ferry and about all the different colors of jerseys that he has worn this year as a series leader or a points leader. He has enough jerseys to make a stoplight. Red, yellow, and green. He is stop, caution, and go all at once. And that's why Monk's getting his whole own episode. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one quarter at a time. We are a proud member of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows, WideAnglePodium.com. Go there. It is a resplendent website filled with the full bevy of shows that we have to offer on the network. We have got all of the independent cycling media in the world collected in one spot. It is your place for cyclocross. It is your place for virtual racing. It is your place for gravel racing. And it's your place for mountain biking. It is your place for the slow ride podcast it is the one-stop shop for all of the best in content creator owned media please go become a member and subscriber and help support this effort we really do truly value our subscribers and we value your contribution because it's because of you that we do this it's because of you that we can do this we are brought to you today by our friends at Source Endurance, source-e.net. It is the best place, in my opinion, for endurance athletic coaching in the internet. They have some really top-notch quality coaches, folks like Adam Mills, Zach Allison, Kristen Arnold, who are there, dedicated professionals who are ready to get you to be the best version of yourself, whether you're tackling BWR, Gateway Cup, Intelligentsia, your first race, just getting off the couch and being more athletic. Source Endurance has coaches for you. I actually just got an email today from Source Endurance saying that one of their coaches has availability for new clients. And of course, that's Taylor Warren from CS Velo, exceptionally talented crit racer. And on top of it, not a bad gravel racer. And I think he plays around on the track too. So go to source-e.net. Use the promo code Criterium Nation, all one word for $50 off your first month of coaching. So here we are. It's the beginning of August. We've been gone for a little while. I apologize. Work life, real life, a little bit of head injury got in the way. But we are catching up with the guys from Project Echelon, with Ricky Arnopel and with Ethan Crane. We're going to do that right now. And then next week, next time, next go around, Monk for the hour.
Ricky, we got to talk about the tour of America's Dairyland, obviously, because you just completed it. It's 11 days of bike racing. There's 11 very different courses. There's 11 different combinations of people. There's 11 different ways for it to be a success or a failure or just not what you want it to be. But before we get to that, we have to talk about your journey over the last couple of weeks of getting from where you were prior to taking some time away to where you are now and how that caused a deviation in the course of what you wanted to do this year. Because I know that Toad was not necessarily a priority for you. You know, you've been looking forward to Europe. Talk about that at the end, hopefully. But, you know, there's a lot of races that were between, you know, Redlands, huge success for you, and Toad. So that journey of dealing with your own emotional, mental health, how did that go for you? So, I mean, it was interesting. You know, after Redlands and Gila, Originally, I was slated to do Joe Martin. I wound up skipping that and then taking a break off the bike again. And so then looking at that, you know, I took almost two weeks off the bike, which is like a full on off season. That's a lot to kind of make up. And with the goal of going to Europe, it's like, how do I do that? And so pro nationals would usually be the kind of middle stone between the what I consider the first half of the season and then the second half, which culminates around the Europe block. And so Pro Nationals didn't seem like the right call. And, you know, the team, along with the directors, like, we're like, maybe skip it. So then it's like, what else do we do? Well, there's Toad. It's 11 days of racing. There's nothing better to get you in shape very quickly than doing 11 crits. That being said, it's not like I went there just being like, I'm here to get in shape, you know, screw all you guys. No, I mean, like, it's hard. It's been a staple on the calendar for I don't know how long since before I was racing. Like, it's something that I haven't done in probably six years since I was like a cat four. The kind of idea of doing that was something that just sounded really fun to me. And it's something that I can hang out with the dudes for 11 days, race bikes, you know, have time during the day to work, not have to worry about transfers between stages and eating, you know, carnival oatmeal and all that stuff. It was just, it was a cool concept. It was different. And it was something that it like genuinely sparked the kind of excitement for racing again. Watching the coverage at Pro Crit or Pro Road Race and seeing how well Hugo did, seeing how well, you know, Tyler did finishing on the podium in the road race, you know, did you look at that and go, man, if I was there? I mean, yes and no, like huge FOMO not going. Watching it was like a super exciting to watch them just absolutely destroyed. It, it was so freaking cool. But yeah, like, of course, you want to be there. You want to be like a part of that. But at the same time, you know, we were at that point, what, nine days deep into this, I kind of had my own thing to focus on. So I was like, you know what, like, it's one year I've done, I've done pronats, I don't know, four or five times, like, I haven't done toad in the pro one, two field. I don't, I don't know if I've ever done it actually, Matt. So it was something new. And while it was hard to watch, it was exciting to watch the boys pull it off. And I was like, you know what, I'll go there again. It's okay. Like, that's not the last time I'll do that. You know, did you actually mentally recover during those two weeks off? That's hard to say. Mental health and wellness is like an ongoing process throughout your entire life. To just say that I'm suddenly better cured would be ridiculous. I mean, maybe, you know, during those two weeks, it kind of gives you a chance to look at things outside of cycling and look at other aspects of your life and how to balance it. Because ultimately, like as athletes, we become very unbalanced quite often. 
and having that ability to kind of take a step back and look at the macro view of everything and be like, okay, like, what else do I need to focus on? Like, do I need to spend more time with friends, like family, all this stuff? I went back actually home to Chicago and just spend time with my family as they were moving out of my childhood home. And I pretty much spent like a week doing all sorts of housework and stuff, you know, not cycling related that just took my mind off. And that was kind of the one of the most refreshing things. Like I was totally wrecked from doing it after a week, but helping my folks get their place ready to sell and then watch them sell it within two days. I was like, that was cool. That was not cycling. And that was also fun. And like, I'm glad I did it. From my own personal experiences that you, you know, you wake up and that's a, what's that first feeling like in the morning? How do you feel that initial moment when the eyes open? Is it like, oh, great. The morning's here. This is wonderful. I can see all the sunshine. And then there are the days that it's just like, oh, I'm awake. How exciting. You know, and and when it comes down to mental health or when it comes down to just personal well-being, we can call that what it is, it, it runs on a scale so that, you know, it's not like one day the flip gets switched or the switch gets flipped and you're suddenly feeling better or you're suddenly feeling bad. For you, over that time period where you were off from racing, not just the time that you were off on the bike, did you find yourself waking up in the morning going like, okay, yeah, I can confront this. I can handle this. Yeah. You know, I think the hardest thing to deal with as an athlete is like the pressure to always be good to like reach your goal. So it's like we do training every single week and every day you're kind of like, I need to, you know, execute my training so I can achieve whatever X, Y, and Z. And so not having that pressure, you know, in the mornings and like what I just call like, oh, being like a regular person, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's nice, you know, I'll choose having the stress of training and performing any day, but also having a bit of a break and being like, I don't need to worry about training today. That's nice every once in a while. I mean, that's why we do off seasons. And maybe, you know, there should be longer mid break or mid season off seasons, you know, but it's, it's nice sometimes to be able to wake up and just be like, I've got a little bit less to focus on. Like, let's focus on something else. Let's just figure out what the day brings and then we can you know, tackle that. Do you tell yourself it, you know, seriously, it's okay. It's one day, it's two weeks, it's whatever. And then there's that part in your, that voice in the back of your head. That's like, Oh my God, this is the worst thing that's ever going to happen to me. Like yesterday I had a bike maintenance failure. Like I forgot to, I had forgotten for months apparently to regrease my pedal. And I'm getting ready to do some intervals and suddenly my foot, like the ankle just won't bend. Like um, my foot is going with the pedal around, like in a straight line, it's not staying flat. And I'm just like, uh, and then I'm like, wait, oh, I guess I'm not doing this workout today. And for a brief second while riding back to my office, I was like, oh, I'm a complete failure as a bike racer because I couldn't complete that one specific day of work. And then all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, big picture, man, just big picture it. You know, like you've been working your ass off for the last six months. This time period where you won't work out that one day or that one period of time, it's probably not going to be a big impact. Let it go. Refocus. It's very hard to to do that. And I think as I've I think as a lot of athletes get older and even get better that they realize that those one days or two days, it's not a huge deal. Like if it's pouring rain and cold one day and I'm like, I'm not going to get out and do this workout today. And that's okay. Like that's hard to cope with, but that's kind of, I think what makes the mature athlete and makes the one that's sustainable and can have 
a longer career ultimately because they're not, you know, neurotic and focusing on just the the micro of of the big picture. Let's switch here talking about Toad because that's the big race block for you. So we got to talk bike racing because this is a bike racing podcast. There is a buried within this, a spinal tap joke or reference about turning it up to 11 because you ran into a team at Toad that is known as 5411 as opposed to 5311, which is what a lot of people ride as a crank. These guys apparently are going that next step up to the 54. And this is a German based team. You know, they, you ran into them and they were kind of like a buzzsaw for everybody. They were on the podium, I think every single day during the 11 days, the one guy from the team who won the GC Florens, you know, he had an insane on podium percentage for that full time. Where'd these guys come from? So that's the funny thing. And we, we eventually had to look it up because we were like, where the F did these guys come from? And Florence Nauer, who won the overall and won a handful of stages. This is not his first time doing Toad. He's been around the block. This guy, I think, has won the overall at Toad. Before we looked, he won like Grafton at Toad in like 2010 when he was, I don't know, 19 or 20. Like this guy's been doing this for a while. He's won races at BC Super Week. He's done stuff and he showed it. He's a savage. And like, I'll also start off with saying those guys are all super nice guys as well, which made it even more freaking frustrating because they were nice and then they were absolutely brutal. And they came there and they knew exactly what they were doing. Maybe it's because they could speak German to each other and like create little plans and then execute them. And then we're all like looking around. But no, I'm just kidding. Like those guys were executing at a high level. They were very good. You know, Florence could even do stuff on his own at the end. He didn't need his teammates. And then they had guys like, Chris, I can't remember his last name, who was an absolute unit who would just go off the front and you literally couldn't catch him. We'd have three guys trying to catch him and we couldn't do it. So it's like every day was like, well, how do we beat them today? It was definitely a, a struggle and a battle and it kept it very interesting. It's It was a small field this year, but as always, it's like it's a quality field. Like you have the guys that come over from New Zealand. You have like the odd guys with one or two people on the team or just solo riders that still are getting in the top 10 every day. It's like, it's never easy. And then, you know, having the biggest team there, everyone kind of looks at you like you guys should be freaking, you know, winning around the podium every single day. So not doing that. It's also like, shit, what are we doing wrong here? I mean, Florence has a history UCI going back to 2015 when he was on H and R block, uh, he's been on Stradelli, you know, he's been on a team that I absolutely love the name Herman Rad team. So, I mean, like he's been racing in the United States. He's been racing in Canada cause he's done gas town. So, you know, like he's not an unknown commodity. What is it like, you know, cause at points in time during this race series, you had seven guys in the race series. And it's like a traveling circus around all of Wisconsin. What's it like to do 11 days of bike racing back to back to back to back with five, six, seven guys? It's weird. These kind of races, especially where you start really late, you know, some of these races are starting at seven, seven thirty, and you get into this odd routine of like, you wake up, eat breakfast most of us you know we work full-time so we work during the day and then you eat lunch and then you eat second lunch and then you eat a pre-race meal and then it's like five o'clock and you're driving to a race and you're drinking coffee at 6 p.m or having a red bull or something like that 
And so just the race days themselves become this blur. It's like, I swear every day I woke up later and later until there was literally, and mind you, we slept in a basement that was like 55 degrees and pitch black. So like, it was like a wine cellar and I probably could have slept there all day, but I woke up at like 11 a.m. one day and I was like, holy crap. Like, I didn't even know what freaking time dimension I was in, but yeah, it, you know, it becomes a blur after a while, but it, it's a routine and you get used to it. And like, Every day you get a little bit more dialed, but at the same time, it's seven dudes. So something's always going wrong. And there's just a lot of, <laughs> just a lot of guys to be around all at once. And I love all those guys. But by the end, I was like, oh my God, I'm so ready to just go back home and be by myself for a bit. Who was the guy of the group who was always trying to be way funnier than he actually is? <laughs> Probably me. I don't know. <laughs> it might have been me. I mean, I, I kind of I'm I'm a jokester on the team for sure, and maybe sometimes it was it was not an appropriate time to joke. But um, I, I don't know. I would probably have to say it was me, but maybe other ones of my teammates have different uh, opinions on that. But yeah, I, I think I'm always trying to lighten the mood or something like that. And some of the days were pretty freaking frustrated, so maybe it was an inappropriate time. You know, for a lot of us, when we go on a trip with teammates, it's for two, three days. It's easy to get into a mindset for a long weekend of like, okay, team meeting, execute plan, plan did not execute the way we wanted it to because no battle plan survives first contact. What adjustments do we make debrief wise and execute the next morning? You've got 11 days in a row of plan, plan, not work refocus, rebrief, try to create a new game plan for the next day. That plan works or doesn't work. You know, you just got to keep going. How do you stay strategically involved? You know, as bike racers, I still think every single day, like this thing could have gone on for 50 days and every single day we probably would have been eager to get at it. Like, I don't think like there's any issue with us, you know, being really motivated to win because that just comes naturally. But it's the changing of the plans when something goes right. But then ultimately, like it's a bike race, it's a bit more simple than that. There's just, I think there came a certain point where we realized that we were racing, not true to ourselves. We were racing like against 5411 and we were almost racing negatively just because we were so focused on them. We were letting other stupid, small little things happen. So there came a point where we just, I mean, it's day five or six or something. We're like, screw, like, we're not racing like us. Like, let's flip the script. Let's do what we do. Let's race aggressive. Let's try to get into breaks. Let's not focus on one guy or two guys. Let's just make the race freaking hard. And I think there was a turning point there where we just started being way more aggressive again and just trying to make the race as hard as possible. And it had some success. Some of the days it didn't go so well, but ultimately I think we were a lot more comfortable and having a lot more fun. It was, it was just interesting because the first day, like we kind of started with a bang, you know, going two guys on the podium and having a bike throw for second, you know, it was like, it was very close and we took a lot of confidence out of that day and then things went south for a bit. But then I think by the end, you know, especially by the last three days, we were kind of riding that momentum up again. I mean, how did you guys handle it? That momentum up and down and up and down over the course of this entire like time period, you know, because getting beaten by Florence and 5411 several days in a row, despite your best efforts is going to take its toll on you as a human being, like naturally speaking, that's just going to be a fact. 
and, you know, coming back at it the next day, coming back at it the next day and, and just continuing to fight, continuing to go into it without starting to go after each other. Was there ever a point in time where there was like, dude, you got to step up. It's you specifically. I'm not naming names or anything like that, but like you got to step up, man. It was there ever a point in time where there were very frank conversations. Yeah. I mean, I think especially when tension, you know, the hardest part is that after, you know, a race didn't go to plan, everyone's on edge. Everyone's a little pissy and that fingers get pointed and things like that. But, you know, you always try to be really objective with stuff and be like, hey, like you didn't do your job today kind of thing. Like a lot of, you know, we have jobs there and it's like you did it or you didn't do it. And I'm sure there, you know, there was a day that, you know, we were talking before we started recording. There was a day where literally in the final, you know, it was really messy final. And John and Evan, who are just much more savvy pack handlers than me, you know, I consider myself pretty good, but not as good as those two. They ultimately were like, hey, we just had to freaking get off your wheel and go another direction because you just you weren't riding these lines clean or you weren't taking this corner fast enough. And it's like, I get that. And, you know, I'm receptive to that kind of stuff. And I think as long as it can be constructive and you can be receptive, then then it's okay. It's kind of the when, you know, you are just like being an asshole or you're, you know, riding like crap and it's not constructive. It's like, then it doesn't do anything. You're just hurting someone's feelings. But, you know, I, I think it's pretty easy to, to understand when things go wrong, like who did what and who didn't do what and kind of how that works. And, you know, it's like, the fact of the matter is we did things perfectly multiple days. And like, I'm not, you know, just being like, well, if this didn't happen, but like, John had a bunch of mechanical issues. You know, we were riding for John almost every day. And John dropped his chain three times in the sprint. He got he got totally srammed and dropped his chain. It was like those days were like, well, shit, we know we can win it. Like, it, And, you know, sprinters are very confident in themselves. But I trust John when he was like, I would have won it. I would have won it. Kind of thing. And so those days are frustrating. But it also is like, okay, we can, you know, we can do this. We just need to have everything go right. Yeah, I'm trying to look at the the point totals to see, you know, how big the spreads were and things like that for the Omnium, because it is an 11 day Omnium, which is, you know, interesting in in and of itself, because it again is a race within a race or a race within a race series. So that day one counts for everybody. Like, it's awesome. You win day one, you win day six, you win day seven, whatever it happens to be, you can show up for one day. And then there's the people who are showing up all 11 days, you know, like John, it was clear that you guys were riding for John. John didn't win. Do you walk out of there saying, well, John wasn't on the top step on the podium. This wasn't a success. No, you, I mean, you can't measure success always is just winning and losing. I mean, there's so much more to it. I think there's a lot that we accomplished that week. There's a lot we messed up and I'm sure, you know, we wanted to win the overall and it's frustrating that we didn't, but we still had a lot of really good days and we had some bad days, but like in the end for me, like, I had a great time there and, you know, sometimes it is a bit more important than winning. We made a few bucks. We laughed a lot. We had some beers. We had a lot of Culver's like it's a win in my book, but yeah, you know, sure. We didn't win the overall, but that's okay. You don't always win the overall. This is cycling. We picked the sport where you lose literally 99% of the time and then 1% you win. And for some reason it keeps you going for 10 more years. Just one win. So yeah, you know, we didn't go there with our best team in the world either. Like I'm not usually on the crit squad, but like Rick came out that week and we just, you know, we did what we could. And I still think, yeah, we came away with a lot. And for me personally, like 
I saw myself, yeah, getting better. I mean, you go to these races and you always come out a better bike racer. There's like no two ways around it. You, when you do that so many days in a row, like your handling gets better, you get snappier, all this stuff. And so like, personally, I thought it was great. And as a team, yeah, it wasn't exactly what we wanted, but we got something out of it. So it's mid July. Where do we go next for you? What's the next things? I am home in Boulder for the next two weeks, and then it is off to France for some rainy northern Bretagne action. So that's that's the plan. Expensive plane tickets, baguettes, and bad coffee. Uh, you know, but that's why you got to bring your own coffee kit. I'm on it. I got a new one when I was at Tone. Perfect. And and the French are going to say that their cheese is the best, but I'm going to feel like some of the people at Toad are probably going to disagree. Yeah, no, we won cheese many days. It was all pretty good. Oh, yeah. That's something like most people don't know about Toad. You know, like they look at the jerseys for the leaders and they're like, those kind of look weird. Why are they polka dotted? And you're like, it's, it's, it's a cow. And, and like so much of Toad is based around the things that are endemic to Wisconsin. You know, so like chocolate milk and milk as a whole is a podium prize. Like what were some of the fun podium prizes? A lot of coffee. You know, you get a lot of Collectivo coffee, a lot of cheese. I think that was mainly it. But, you know, I'm going to fluff my own ego here. And I don't know if you knew this, but I won the overall at Toad the first year I did it when I was a Cat 4. And I won a wheel of cheese and a Waterford frame. But the wheel of cheese was a very cool gift that you don't get every once in a while. I don't even know what happened. I think I literally sold it to a friend or something like it was worth more to him than it was to me. But yeah, I am technically I have a yellow spotted cow jersey somewhere in my house. Well, I am officially announcing this right now. Right now, today, I will be at Toad in 2023. For sure. Really? Yes, I'm coming to Toad because if a wheel of cheese is on offer... I will do everything in my power to win said wheel of cheese. I'm pretty sure it's it's West Dallas. It was called the West Dallas Cheese Wheel Classic. And I think if there's any day you have to do, it's that day because I think the cheese wheel is on offer for the prize. I guess we don't have to talk about FOMO anymore for you because you haven't been missing out on anything at all. You've been knee deep in it since getting back to the United States from uh, Kiwi land and um, North Palmerton, excuse me, North Palmerton, New Zealand. <laughs> pa- Palmerston North. Palmerston North. Oh my God. All the way around. Uh, all the way around. I've already failed at this entire episode. So let's, <laughs> let's just talk about, Let's just talk about what it's like to to make that jump back into racing after being out and being injured. What was your first race back? Was it Somerville? Yeah, it was. Somerville, like, I'm going to say Somerville didn't really count for me because I flew back from New Zealand and then the next day drove eight hours to New Jersey to race Somerville. It was my first ride outside in two months. So I'm going to say Armed Forces was my first race back, which was the weekend after. So let's talk about Crystal City then as that first experience. And, you know, for those of us who've raced Crystal City, it's got a very strange first corner because you go from like a 
like a major highway down into what is essentially an alley. What was it like feeling the speed that first or second lap through? Did you have all your sensations back or was there some sort of like, uh, uh oh, we have to do this now? Uh, I mean, I was just, I was just stoked to be, be there. I was, that was probably one of the the few times I've actually gotten pretty nervous before a race. I was on the start line, pretty, pretty nervous. But as soon as the whistle goes and you get clipped in, uh, you kind of just kind of just get in the zone and just kind of get in the flow as fast as possible and just, just got to follow the, follow the person in front of you really just feels good. It just feels so good to be ripping corners fast and big bunches and hearing the crowds and stuff like that. You can't beat it. When was it during your comeback now? So Armed Forces, Tulsa Tough, Tour of America's Dairylands, Salt Lake, Boise, and all of Intelligentsia. So that's a, a lot of racing. When was it in the process of that that you actually felt like, okay, I haven't missed anything. I'm back to where I was before somebody turned left in front of me when it should have been a straight line. <laughs> that definitely would have been Boise for me. We did Armed Forces and I, I survived Armed Forces. And then we went to Tulsa and I crashed on Blue Dome Friday night with three to go. I hit the deck pretty. It wasn't a bad crash. It was just a fast crash. You know, we were, we were sliding along the road for a while, which didn't help. I also, yeah, the legs and the heat at Tulsa just wasn't a great combo and then dairy lands still working on the on the form the legs i mean by the time i finished dairy lands i felt 50 times better than when i started but still just missing that last little bit um had a little break and then went to boise and then everything just started to click at boise don't know for some reason lined up and started racing and i was like back to being pretty confident you know putting my my nose in those smaller gaps and i probably would have a couple of weeks earlier riding on the front i actually yeah spent a little bit of time off the front not intentionally they kind of just let me roll but yeah really being up in the mix there and then the legs came at salt lake and i knew i was about to hit hit form you know, kind of get some form back at Salt Lake because I got a bleeding nose and I'm superstitious about this because in the past, every time I've done well at a race, a couple of days before I'll get a bleeding nose and I got one before Salt Lake and then I won the second day. So clearly it had nothing to do with you being at altitude and like super dry heat at all. It, it was definitely an no, omen of course not. for you. Yep. Yep. Exactly. When you look at 11 days of racing at Tote, for example. You know, we heard from Ricky, uh, a.k.a. Crit Ricky, on the show a little bit earlier about his experience at Dairylands. Now, you know, obviously, he's in Europe doing the European thing in Brittany. But is there really no substitute for getting out there and putting in that speed work at a race versus anything that you can do in training? I, I really don't think so. I can't say I, for me, like personally, I always have always have said that like racing is the best training, like mentally as well. It's a lot more fun. You know, you know, you look at your power file after a race and you can say, Oh, I, I did a pretty hard 20 minute block during the race and you wouldn't even notice it. Whereas if you, you're going out with a set training structure and you're just staring at your computer for these 20 minute efforts, it isn't quite as enjoyable. 
So I'd take racing over training any day of the week. And just, yeah, bunch skills get better, leg speed, positioning, just race craft gets so much better with racing. So I just don't think you can really do anything to try and match it. People who know you and meet you in person discover this very real fact quickly. You are not the biggest guy out there. If you compare yourself to like a teammate of yours, John Heinlein, or maybe even Will the Thrill Harden, (laughs) you know, those guys are, I mean, Will was a, I think he was an offensive lineman in high school football. And and John, you know, John, John's just big. I mean, he's a big dude. Yep. (laughs) Yep. When you start getting into the bouncy part of the race where people are jockeying for position and, you know, you're trying to hold your spot. Do you feel like that's a disadvantage to you that you're tall and skinny as opposed to wide and bulky or got a low CG like Monk does? <laughs> yeah, no, a hundred percent. There was actually there was a video clip from the first day of Salt Lake um, from the back of John's bike. Actually, had a GoPro under his saddle, and you can see me and a Miami Blazers rider going shoulder to shoulder to shoulder, and. Uh, if you you can see it from a different angle, but he looks like he's about twice the size of me. And there's like little skinny Ethan trying to keep this guy from pushing me out to the barriers. And it didn't work, but I, I gave it a go. But um, no, sometimes those guys like me and Justin Williams have bumped shoulders before earlier in the year at uh, Valley of the Sun. And if they really want to move me, they're going to move me. There's like not a single thing I can do about it. They're just just the extra weight and the the momentum like when you're leaning on someone like that is just yeah hard to compete with so you gotta you gotta try and be sneaky about those things just try and try and avoid them firstly and then just kind of pick your battles with that kind of stuff sometimes it's a lot easier just to let them have it and then sneak up on the inside the next corner and take it back the best thing about i remember that video because the best thing about it is that monk was on your wheel at that point in time. And when the rider from Miami Blazers took you out to the curb, he left a void in the space that he was in and Monk just instinctively filled it with his (laughs) presence. So like that was a, that was a mistake on that guy's part. You know, he vacated a spot and Monk did exactly what he was going to do with you anyways, which is get closer to the front. So it's kind of like one of those strategic things of like, why'd you do that, dude? Why'd you go all yeah. the way out of the way? Yeah, there was a lot of like, why Why did you do that? Like, I mean, we weren't even close to the finish, you know. It was, it was probably like seven laps ago. I just wanted to sit on my teammate's wheel, like, come on. I'm, I was, it was also, I was sitting on the outside and it was a crosswind. So I was kind of protecting him from the wind a little bit. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. Just kind of that aggressive racing, which we saw a lot of at Salt Lake that day. That was day one of Salt Lake. You were front and center ringside almost for the action that happened later afterwards. If you look at any of the videos, the project echelon guys are in the background as spectators for the melee that happened a little bit later. I don't want to go too deep into it, but like, you know, because that's obviously something for USA cycling to deal with from a, 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 you know, penalty suspension world. But for you as somebody who just finished a race to sit there and, you know, your heart rate's still probably up. It's really hot. 
could you believe your eyes what you were seeing was happening right in front of you? No, it, it it probably took me about five seconds after it had happened to actually realize what was happening. Or I I saw I saw kind of riders congregating together, and I knew Legion had just won. So I was like, ah, oh, they're celebrating, you know. Justin was like, he threw his bike, but I thought it was in kind of a, a happy way to like celebrate and go hug Ty or something. And the next thing I hear is raised voices and people getting in people's faces. And then it kind of clicked just as the first punch was getting thrown. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, it's, it's really going down right now. They finally, they finally did it. So yeah, it was kind of like people were trying to pull other people back and stop them fighting. I was like, oh, I'm just, these guys are a lot bigger than me. I'm just gonna, just gonna stand here and watch. Tell us about day two. That was a fun course. It was a weird course. It was like a new road around a little park and um you could tell that if any water hit it it was like an ice skating rink it was blue skies 100 and something degrees when we first started and then within the first 15 minutes the clouds had rolled in and it got dark and then all of a sudden they called five laps to go and everyone was like oh oh damn we're we're about to finish this race um and it started spitting and you could feel it going around some of the corners your tires were getting a pretty pretty slippery they were losing a lot of grip um out the back of the course so um they ended up shorting shortening it which i'm glad they did because i would not want to have raced the the full hour and something um in the rain that ended up coming just as we finished but yeah that was just the race where you kind of that was positioning really it was such a fast downhill into a little little rise um up to the finish so whoever could slingshot out of that bottom up the hill uh the best was gonna win yeah so you just had to had to get lucky position yourself right and jump at the right time for that one so we're burying the lead here but you won you beat clever (laughs) martinez which is after the experience at intelligentsia cup we've all realized now that that's not an easy thing to do and it doesn't happen very often as far as I can tell, this is your first like marquee criterium win in the United States, or or am I missing something at the at the pro one level? I won Green Mountain stage race. I won two stages there last year. I won the crit. But in terms of kind of like um ACC race weekends, um, and that kind of series, it's my first win there, yeah, for sure. I know that you've had this concern because of your injury that, you know, you were going to miss out. And, you know, the first time we talked, you were talking about what happens next, what happens after Project Echelon. I want the UCI Conti level, you know, I want to go to that next level. And at the tender age of 20, you've got more than enough capacity and potential to do it. Do you think that, you know, winning at Salt Lake is is step number one towards something bigger and better? Yeah, I mean, I think... Just winning anything is a, is always a step in the right direction, you know. Getting getting that uh, first place you can put on your resume is always looks pretty nice. Then a a bunch of seconds and thirds, you know, it's a it's kind of crazy the amount of seconds and thirds I put down for these race results and haven't got a win yet. So it's it's nice to have have the number one next to it. But yeah, I it's hard because you know I think crits don't have a huge amount of i don't know respect or something like that with those euro teams they kind of think they're 
I don't know, they don't maybe don't take them as seriously as a if you uh, put down a road race. But yeah, it's I mean crits. It's if you can sprint, you still got to sprint to be able to win a crit, you know. So it's it's showing that you can you can win bike races at least. But what it looks like to me, and now this is just objective, you know, looking at results from Salt Lake on out, there has been a marked level of improvement in your results since Salt Lake, since winning that race. You know, West Dundee, which is an insanely challenging and hard race, you finish sixth, you get third at Lake Ellen, which is more of a cremesse style than it is a pure crit style course, and you did it from a breakaway. You you win again at Mundelein, wish I could have been there, but I was otherwise <laughs> indisposed at the time, unconscious. Yeah. You know, like... Do you feel do you feel like there is a there is an Ethan Crane confidence that's suddenly been like brought to the forefront? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Like that win at Salt Lake was a massive confidence booster. Winning against Clever as well, me and him. I've been like nipping at his heels for a long time now and I haven't haven't quite got him. So to get him at Salt Lake and then again at uh stage four of Intelligentsia was yeah super super stoked for that and yeah i mean i think with anything like that you all it takes is that one good result and then everything just kind of grows from there you kind of you kind of break the seal crack through and then uh, after that everything becomes a lot easier the confidence just grows exponentially yeah you kind of just kind of proves to yourself that you're kind of you've got what it takes to be here and that you kind of belong up the front and it gives you a reason to try and stay there. Has everything slowed down a little bit? Like your your ability to react and your ability to vi- to visualize what's happening, has it all suddenly just like cleared up? Like you just cleaned your glasses for the first time? <laughs> yeah, it, it does feel like that a little bit actually. Yeah, the ability to like uh, read a race smartly and be very aware of what's happening at any one time is uh, super important in these races. Uh, you definitely, like, especially with the last the last three days of Intelli, I was start, I was starting to get pretty tired. Kind of, I had pretty much solidified where I was going to finish overall, and just wanted to keep that. I'd got had my win here, had my winner's jersey. I was happy with that, and then kind of keep Monk where he was already sitting as well in second. So yeah, you can kind of sit back for those last couple of days and just kind of, kind of, just kind of get in the flow. Just try finish up there. You don't really have to take as many risks or be as aggressive as you were if you were fighting for that podium spot. But you can you can kind of watch from the outside and see other people doing that at the same time, which is fun as well. You ended up on the podium overall at Intelligentsia, which is a huge feat. You finished third, Monk finished second, Clever winning. You know, there was a 28-point split between Clever and and Monk, which, given the way that they score this, 20 points for first place, you know, I think it's 20, 19, 18. So it's not, like, a lot of points. Yeah, it's not a... Oh, yeah, I wasn't, wasn't a huge fan of that point system, to be honest. It is nothing like I've ever had at any other race before the way it only goes down by one point every place it is it makes it a lot harder you know and especially with clever being such a consistent rider up there every day all it takes is one bad day 
and you can lose 10, 15 points. And if that happens, you know, and you're only beating him by one or two people every day, it's going to take a long time to claw those points back. Monk obviously had a bad day the last day at Goose Island. He crashed, washed out in like the second corner and scored no points. Going into that last day, they were only separated by 10. Of course, that means that Monk was going to have to absolutely crush Clever in order to gain the 11 points back, which was not like what the Blazers were going to let happen anyways, but it would have been a lot closer. You know, this is this is like your first big year here racing these races with a legit, properly supported team. Do you feel like you are putting in the kind of results that you you think that you need to, given the fact that people are putting this amount of faith in you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's I was I was getting a bit worried. I hadn't had a win all year, you know. And the, to be honest, the season's almost over. You know, there's only a handful of races left, really. So I, I was getting getting some nervous times trying to trying to finally get that win. But um, after getting those two and kind of being up there consistently, uh, at least for the first kind of like seven days at Intelligentsia. Um, I think I've done maybe, maybe enough, hopefully, um, there's still a lot of, there's still racing to go. And I know like my legs feel great right now, so I'm ready to rip this last handful of races, um, we've got left, but I'm just, yeah, super stoked to be racing with Monk. He's like, he's such a great guy. He's like such a great mentor, um, every race, every day at Intelligentsia, um, that I did well in was because of him. He you know, we were hanging around all race, we were talking, and then when it got to the the pointy end, he was like, all right, Ethan, on my wheel, and don't leave it, pretty much. And yeah, all I had to do was trust him, and he always got me up there where I needed to be. You guys have become quite the duo. I mean, the consistent fact of, of a lot of his success has been your presence. You know, when you were gone pre-Somerville, I th- I feel like he was floundering a little bit. You know, Spartanburg, he obviously was sick. You know, he did very well at uh, Athens. But once you got back in the mix, now we're looking at he wore the yellow jersey at Intelligentsia for a day. You know, he's been up in the running. And then when he's not, you're filling that spot. So it isn't really Ethan is the robin to his batman it's both of you are batman here you know like what the, what is that relationship like yeah no it's it's super cool i i get along with monk really well and he he's told me like he's obviously a great bike racer you know he's obviously got the capacity to win a lot of bike races still um but he's kind of told me he's like i want to i want to help you win bike races as well um so we kind of just yeah I, I do what I can. He he helps me out. Um, and I think just that kind of back and forth, we always end up around about the top somewhere just by doing that. So we got Littleton coming up this weekend. And then what happens next? Yeah, so we got Littleton and then we got Indy. That'll be just kind of picking up more points for Monk in the sprint. And overall, he's got a, a pretty decent lead on both of them. So he's, uh yeah, he just has to kind of be up and around about, pick up some more points, keep that ticking over. For me, I'm going to try get some sprint, sprint points. I want to get there 
it'd be super cool if we could go one two in the the sprint competitions uh I'll be trying to pick up some points at those races. But other than that, yeah, just try and try and win some more bike races. I feel like we can feel like we've proven that we can do that now. So And you're getting a great tour of the middle part of the United States. <laughs> yeah, buds, yeah. I've had uh I've been had done some decent uh cross country trips this year. Done I think I've I've done maybe I've done some from coast to coast and then up and down. I've I've Done some decent, decent sightseeing around the States. Yeah. And you've been one heck of a good babysitter. That's what I've heard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, stay living with Joe at the start of the year was hanging out with his kids. They're super chill. And then Erica, the the owner, he's got two boys. Uh, um, it's cool. We go, go for rides around the block and stuff like that. Throw the football around out the backyard. So it's good fun. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. The football? Are you throwing spirals? Oh, pfft. They're, they're trying they were they were trying to teach me they were pretty pretty sloppy but i was i felt i was getting i was getting pretty good towards the end they were getting pretty clean but i was trying to teach them a rugby pass and they they weren't having that uh, i am bringing i'm bringing a football with me to indy you and i are gonna go in the parking lot <laughs> and we're gonna it's gonna be like a little father son thing older brother younger yeah. brother thing that's that's what I'm <laughs> so okay well play some catch we will catch up with you very very soon good luck this weekend at littleton awesome thanks guys catch you later Thank you for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. Today, my co-host, at least for the intro, was the innumerable Fausto Copi, the black and white tuxedo cat. Now here for the outro, the co-host is Patton, the munchkin cat, the world's largest munchkin cat. Today's show was written and produced by me, Rob Kelly. We will be back next week, next time, hopefully, with Monk, Brandon Fury, your leader in the American Criterium Cup. Overall, your leader in the American Criterium Cup point series, green, yellow, uh, yellow, red jersey, all of the jerseys. Monk's got a collection. His walls are littered in jerseys. He doesn't have to go buy wallpaper anymore. He just puts them up on the wall. Okay. That's a rambling one right there, but it's a classic, semi-classic, kind of classic. I'll catch you all next week for more stories from our Criterium Nation. <laughs>